very good evening. Please do be seated. Well, it's lovely to have you all with us this evening. As Andrew mentioned earlier, we're coming to the end of a two-part series looking at conflict and forgiveness. What might be helpful is in the very center of your bulletin, there's an outline. It's got some notes about the things we're going to cover and also some verses that we'll refer to. So perhaps you could open your bulletin to the very center. And if we have that, let's start with prayer. The words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, last week, if you remember, we looked at the roots of conflict. And we learned that ultimately conflict arises from our hearts. And so I hope that over the past week, we've not just been worrying about Mike and Susan. Perhaps you remember them. Um, a few of you have been asking me more about Mike and Susan. I hope that we've been thinking honestly about ourselves. We've been looking to our own hearts. We've been seeking to find the log in our own eyes. Well, this week, we will see what we do next. And we're going to see three things we do next. First, we are going to see how do we deal with our part of the conflict? That is, what do we do with the log in our own eyes? Second, how do we approach the other party in a conflict? That is, how do we deal with the speck in our brother's eye? And finally, we will look at forgiveness and what it means to forgive. So first, dealing with our part, the log in our own eyes. Perhaps we are here today and we have actually started to realize that we've been acting selfishly with our colleagues or the things we've been saying about people, actually, they are wicked. And, and we realize that now. What do we do about it? Two things. We are to confess our sins to God and we are to confess our sins to one another. As Anglicans, we tend to be very used to confessing our sins before God. We know that Christ has died for our sins. We know that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That we know, but what we often find much harder is confessing our sins to those against whom we have sinned. That is, offering a true apology. But this too is part of the Christian life. Jesus shows it to us using a wonderful picture. This is Matthew chapter 5 and verse 23. He uses a picture of people bringing free will offerings to the temple in Jerusalem, and he says, So... If you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift at the altar. This, too, is part of the Christian life. Now, those of us who are parents... I'm willing, I'm willing to 
go out on a limb and say that we've all taught our children since they grew up, if you upset your brother or your sister, you have to say sorry, shake hands, or give them a hug. Is that right? We teach our children to say sorry, but somehow, by the time we ourselves become adults, we find it's just so hard to do. And even when we do say sorry, somehow we feel deep down, well, it just seems like empty words to get us out of trouble, doesn't it? We don't seem to be able to apologize very well. And so we're going to think a little bit about what, in wisdom, would be a good apology. On your sheet, I've given you five parts of a good apology, a sweet apology, and it uses the acronym SUGAR to, re to perhaps remember it. First of all, S. We must be specific about what we have done. If I've been verbally abusive to you, and I just say sorry, well, you don't know whether I realize what I've done. Even worse, perhaps, is a wife who says to her husband, I'm sorry for everything. To the husband, what does that sound like? It sounds like, I don't admit anything, please get off my case. Be specific in your apologies. Say, I am sorry that I chose my own comfort instead of helping you when you needed it. Be specific. S you be understanding of the hurt it has caused. If I have wronged you, then you need to know that I understand how much I have wronged you. Particularly, I need to make sure I don't minimize the very real hurt I've caused. If I say to you, I'm sorry for breaking your plates, but they weren't very expensive anyway, that doesn't make it better, does it? It just tells you I don't think that I've actually done very much to apologize for. Be understanding of the hurt we have caused. S-U-G. G, be guilty. Be guilty. Do not try to shift the blame, especially to the person you've wronged. If I say to you, I'm sorry I lied to you about the money, I knew you would be furious if you knew. What am I actually saying? What I'm saying is, it is your fault that I lied about the money, and I'm not sorry at all. You are to blame for getting furious about things. That's not an apology, is it? Same for, I was having such a hard day at work. My boss has been on my case. That's why I lost my temper with you. That apology means this. My boss is to blame for what I did to you, and the only thing I am sorry about is having to apologize for something that's not my fault. If we're going to confess our sins to those we have sinned against, confess sins not excuses or reasons why we're innocent. Say, I'm sorry that I shouted at you. I know it really hurt you, and I was wrong to do it. That's enough, isn't it? No ifs or buts. A. S-U-G-A. Be accepting of the need to change. You see, when we 
apologize. We're not just saying that we've done something wrong. We are saying that we are wrong. We are saying that there is something in my heart which has caused me to sin against you, something that needs to change. There's no point in me apologizing to you for losing my temper if I have no intention of dealing with my anger problem. I probably cannot promise to never lose my temper with you again, but I should be able to promise to try by God's help to deal with my anger. I must be accepting of the need to change. And finally, S-U-G-A-R. R, I must be ready to make things right. This again is a rich biblical picture. It is a picture you see particularly in Leviticus and chapter 6. There in Leviticus and chapter 6, you meet the case of the man who suddenly realizes that he has wronged his brother. Perhaps he's stolen something from his brother, or perhaps he's lied about lost property or, or, or something like that. And, and he realizes his conscience is struck. Well, it, he is told to do two things. First, he is to bring a sacrifice to the Lord to seek forgiveness to him. But he is also to make it right with his neighbor. If he has stolen from him, he is to pay back the neighbor what he has stolen, plus a fifth. He is to do what he can to make things right. When we have wronged someone, we need to be ready to make things right again. Now, sometimes we will have caused damage that we cannot make right. But at the very least, we can make a genuine offer to do so. We can say, is there some way that I can help to undo the damage that I've done? And we can mean it. We need to be ready to make things right. If we put that all together, what might it sound like? It might sound like this. I'm sorry for not taking your concerns seriously or listening to you. I know it has been so disappointing and frustrating for you for a long time. I was wrong to be so proud. I will try by God's grace to be more humble and listen to you in the future. And I'm reversing the decisions I've made so we can sit down and talk about them together clearly. That's a, that's a sweet apology, isn't it? It's an apology that is specific, understanding, guilty, accepting, and ready to make it right. So whatever the conflict you are in here today, let me urge you to start with that. Start by making a good confession to the one you have sinned against. Deal with your own part first. For as scripture says, if possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Well, that brings us to our second point. And that is how then might we approach those who have sinned against us? How do we look at the speck in their eye? Because usually we are not responsible for everything, are we? Well, I want to say, first of all, that sometimes we might be able to just not do that. We might be able to skip over approaching them altogether. It is not a sin to deliberately overlook 
small and isolated offenses in order to maintain peace amongst brothers. That's not a sin. In fact, Proverbs 19 and verse 11 specifically says, it is glory to overlook an offense. But we can't always overlook offenses. Some sins are so great, so damaging, or, or so persistent that actually we do need to talk to the person. And the good news is, that our Lord Jesus Christ tells us exactly how to do that. We heard it in our gospel reading from Matthew 18. First of all, without exception, we are to speak to the one who has sinned against us one-to-one, -one, just us and him. And why do we speak to them? Verse 15, that if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. This is the object of the exercise. We are not going in there to win our fights or prove ourselves right. We are going in to win our brother, to find reconciliation and peace in Christ. That's our aim. And do you notice that there is no step here that says gossip about it to other people? Why? Gossiping does not help us with our aim of gaining a brother. It will make it harder to reconcile, not easier. It may feel good to gossip sometimes, especially, especially when we feel very wounded. But if we have been responding to sins against us by gossiping to everyone else about it, then we've been sinning too and making it harder to gain our brother. And so can I urge you, if you are in conflict today, speak to the person who has sinned against you. And can I encourage you to do it face-to-face -face in person, if you can, or, or if you can't, at least do it over the phone. Do not do this. Do not send angry SMS, WhatsApp, and long, angry email. Why not? Of course you can. You'll get your point across. But why shouldn't you? It's so impersonal it's going to make it harder to gain your brother. If we're serious about reconciliation, we'll go and see them, because it will help us to reconcile. What happens if they don't listen? Jesus answers that too. He says, verse 16, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Still no gossiping or Facebook post stages there. We're going to bring in one or two others to be present with us in our next conversation about this. Who should we choose? Well, wisdom says, don't choose your most loyal and good friend. Wisdom says, don't choose someone who is hot-headed, who is going to make it worse. And don't choose someone who cannot keep a secret. That's not going to help you to gain your brother, is it? Choose someone godly, mature, and trustworthy. Someone who both parties can respect. And having chosen them, be ready to listen to them as well. Because so often it turns out that the things are not like we once or first thought after all. And if they still do not listen, well... To be honest, by this point, almost everyone does listen. 
But if they don't, then the next days, Jesus says, is we bring it to the church community officially. The church together will have to decide if there is a way to reconcile the person or, or in the worst case, if they are to regard the person as no longer part of the community until such time as they can be reconciled again. Okay, that's the process Jesus teaches us. Perhaps there are a couple of questions on your mind as we talk about that. And the first one that I anticipate is this. You might be wondering, well, if, if something's happened, when do I start this process of approaching the one who sinned against me? And I want to say, start as soon as you can. Ephesians 3 and verse 26 puts it like this. It says, be angry and do not sin and do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not delay to resolve things. Don't nurse anger against your brother. Do not wait until it puts down roots and hardens your heart and starts to fester. Settle soon. Either I am going to overlook this offense for the sake of peace, or make a plan to go to speak to the one who has sinned against you. Second question that might be on your mind is this. But how about the pastors? Don't they have a role in, in conflict, particularly in the church? Very often I get messages sent to me and there's something like this. They say, Pastor, John did such and such to James. Can you please go and speak to John? Random names. Sorry if you're called James or John. What's happening here? It seems like James told the sender that John has wronged him. But the sender didn't tell James, okay, you need to go and speak to John face to face and tell him his fault. Instead, the sender has brought in the pastor to mediate and to try to resolve things. And I understand why we do that. But I want to say, please do not do things that way. Do things Jesus' way. There will be a time to involve godly and mature people, but it comes after James has spoken to John, not before. A couple of big exceptions to this. The first one is if, if you become a, aware of a sin that is a danger to others, perhaps someone who is stealing or someone who is committing abuse or something like that, please do tell a pastor because we need to know in order to look after everyone. And the other exception is this. If you are burdened and hurt by what's happened and you need godly support and counsel, then speak to a pastor for that help. That's right. You should do that. That brings us to our third point today and that is to consider forgiveness what it is and, and, and how do we do it because forgiveness is always what should follow an apology and the reason for that is Jesus because we are forgiven in Jesus for our sins against God we must forgive others for their sins against us the two in scripture are repeatedly and inseparably linked Ephesians 3 and verse 31 says, 
Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And again, Colossians 3, 13. If one has a complaint against each other, forgiving one another, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Even in the Lord's Prayer, we pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. The two go together. And the reason they go for, together is pictured for us in a beautiful parable from Jesus. It is a parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18. You might remember it. This is a parable where we meet a king. The king has forgiven his servant a huge debt that the servant could never pay. But then the servant goes out and abuses and imprisons those who owe him small debts. We read it. We know it's clearly wrong. We read it, and it is no surprise when the king hears about it and turns to that servant and makes him pay every last penny. We are like that servant. We are those who have been forgiven all our sins against God through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so we must forgive those who sin against us, just as we were forgiven by the Lord. Now, I know we don't like to hear this, do we? We don't like to hear that we must forgive. And the reason for that is that it is hard. It is personally costly. It means giving up vengeance. It means accepting being mistreated. It means being wronged and letting it go. That's costly. But again, look to Jesus. Did it not cost God dearly to forgive us our sins of course it did it cost our heavenly father his own beloved son and his suffering and death on the cross to forgive us the cost that was paid for our forgiveness is unimaginable and now he says to us as i have forgiven you so you also must forgive and not just once this is not forgiveness of second chances, but every time. As the Lord Jesus says to us, Luke 17 and verse 3, if a brother sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. But what does it mean to forgive him? What does it mean when we say, I forgive you? Well, actually, We've already seen what it means. We are to forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. His forgiveness of us is the model for forgiving one another. And that means at least four big things for forgiveness. They're on your sheet too. I forgive you must mean I've forgiven you before God. I am not seeking God to take vengeance on you for what you have done. I am not seeking for him to condemn you for what you have done to me. Because that's what God says to us too in Christ. God says to us in Christ that there is now no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so 
I forgive you must mean, I forgive you before God too. But the second thing that I forgive you must mean is this, that I have released you from the guilt that stood between us, that we are now at peace. This is, of course, what our Lord Jesus did for us on the cross. Through his suffering and death, he has reconciled us to God. He's forgiven us our sins and brought us to peace. And he says, forgive others as I have forgiven you. And that means that we forgive them of the guilt that stands between us. I forgive you means we are now once more at peace. The third thing it means is that if I say I forgive you, I mean that there is nothing more that you need to do to be really forgiven. When our Lord forgives us by the blood of his Son, he cleanses us from all our sins. There is nothing more that he needs us to do to be really forgiven. It is finished on the cross. And if we are to forgive others like that, then it must be true when we forgive others. When we say, I forgive you, it must not be provisional. It must not be partial. It is not a process. There's nothing more that the other party is going to need to do to really, really be forgiven. It must be full and final, just like the Lord first forgave us. And fourthly and finally, when we say, I forgive you, it is also a promise that you will stay forgiven of that sin. You know, when our Lord forgives us in Jesus, he removes our sins from us as far as the east is from the west, and he says they will never be remembered against us. And we are to forgive others like that. If I say I forgive you, it has to mean that even when we're having our next fight, I'm not going to bring up this old forgiven sin against you as a weapon. It's forgiven. When someone asks me about you, I'm not going to use it to, to run you down and tell them about all the wicked things you've done to me. No, it's forgiven and it will stay forgiven. Just like our sins are forgiven and will stay that way because of the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son. Now, it might be that you are here and you're thinking, well, actually, this, this, is, this is helpful. This is the kind of thing I need to know more about. And if that is you, then I'd like to share with you the most helpful thing that I found for growing more in my thinking about conflict. Most helpful thing that I found was a course that we did a while back called Resolving Everyday Conflict. And some of the insights from that are in what we've spoken about the last couple of weeks. So make a mental note. If you want to grow more, wait for it to come up. Take that course. But meanwhile, shall we pray that the things we have spoken about would indeed become parts of our hearts and lives? Let's pray. Almighty Father, we thank you for your very great love for us by which you sent your beloved Son to die that we could be forgiven. We thank you for the promise of his death that there is now no condemnation 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. We thank you for your promise that as far as the east is from the west, so you have removed our sins from us, and you would never remember them against us. We pray, Almighty Father, that you would graciously help us to respond to your grace by confessing our own sins, not just to you, but to those against whom we have sinned. Open, Lord, the eyes of our heart by your Spirit, that we would not deceive ourselves, but we would see those things which we must confess, the things that we have done that have wronged others. Pray, Father, you would give us the strength to deal with those things in a godly way, to be able to rightly and truly confess those sins. Pray, Father, you, you would give us strength for that. Pray, Father, as well, when, when we have to deal with the sins of others against us, that you would guide us with great wisdom. Pray, Father, that you would help us to do those things which you have taught us through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Pray, Father, you would help us to be godly in the way in which we go about these things. And we pray that through this we would indeed gain our brother or sister, that we would restore unity and peace again. We pray also, Father, that you would teach us the meaning of true forgiveness, of forgiveness like you gave to us in your Son. Pray, Father, you would help us to truly forgive those who have wronged us. Pray, Father, that you would help us to do that, to release them not only before you, but to restore them to peace with us. Father, we pray that more and more that you'd work in this congregation and church, in our families, in our marriages, to make them more and more places of confession and forgiveness, places of change, places of unity, places where we encourage each other in Christ. Father, we pray for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.